Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello, and welcome to the 20th and final episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I'm Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican Sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is day 20 in our series, and we'll be concluding our study of the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena by considering the description of the transit of the saint from the letter of Sir Barduccio to Sister Catherine at the Monastery of San Pietro a Monticelli near Florence. This letter follows the text of the dialogue in the Tan edition of the book, and after discussing the letter itself, we will also reflect on the lasting legacy of St. Catherine of Siena. Let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Eternal God, Eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find, and the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our last segment, the 19th of this series, the Father continued to instruct Catherine in the beauty of a life lived in obedience after the model of Christ crucified. He once again showed her the beautiful and abundant fruits that are born in the soul of one who chooses to obey God, whether in the world or in the religious life, in contrast to the fruits of death that come forth from disobedience. He especially highlighted the reward of the hundredfold promised to those who are obedient. This hundredfold is not the things of this passing world, but rather the abiding gift of divine charity. This gift brings the soul joy in this life and comes to its fullness in the vision of God in heaven, where love will be purified of all its imperfections. The Father's description of the manner of life of a disobedient religious is a mirror opposite to that of the obedient religious that was found in our 18th episode. If a religious turns away from obedience, all three of the religious vows suffer, and the life that should be a life of fruitful virtue and community becomes a self-centered life of misery. 
The Father offers every soul the possibility of living in obedience by revealing the light of truth through the teaching of His Son and the Church, and by giving the grace of the Spirit through the power of the blood of Christ, especially through the sacraments of Holy Church. After a review of all the main themes of the book, in which the Father shows Catherine that he had answered all four of her prayerful petitions, Catherine concludes the dialogue with a lengthy prayer of thanks to God for his goodness to her and to the whole world. As she closes her prayer, she feels her soul inebriated with the grace of the Holy Spirit. In Catherine's biography by Blessed Raymond of Capua, we read that she said of herself that her nature was fire and her impassioned plea for mercy for herself and for the whole world and her expression of overwhelming gratitude and love for the Lord show us just how aflame she was. In the letter appended to the end of the dialogue in the Tan edition, one of Catherine's contemporaries writes to a religious sister residing near Florence his account of the holy death of St. Catherine of Siena. Many lay people and religious consider Catherine their spiritual mother, and so too, in the words of Barduccio, are seen both the admiration of one who saw in her a great saint, but also the heartbreak of one who was losing the woman to whom he had looked for spiritual guidance and support. In fact, he refers to her in the letter as the mother of thousands of souls. He relates that close to the feast of the circumcision of the Lord, Catherine underwent a great change in her body and soul. She was unable to eat or drink, even though her health remained, as he says, as robust and fresh as usual. One evening at Vespers, she had what he describes as a violent stroke, and she no longer returned to health. This was followed by an even more severe stroke, from which she recovered a bit. Even though she was quite sick at the time of Lent, Catherine continued to dedicate herself to constant prayer. The witness notes that she prayed so fervently that she would be more exhausted after one hour of prayer than others who had spent two whole days in prayer. And as was her custom, at this time she still received daily Holy Communion, after which she went into a kind of ecstasy where she seemed as though dead. At this time she was living in Rome. So after an hour or two following Communion in this state of prayer, she would again arise, and she would go to St. Peter's Basilica and remain there in prayer until evening vespers, returning to the house in utter exhaustion. She poured herself out in the heart of the church for the cleansing and purification of the church. By the third Sunday of Lent, she seemed to the observer to be utterly consumed in body. Barduccio seems to think that part of her exhaustion was her constant agony over the sins committed against God and the dangers to the Holy Church, especially through the sins of its leadership. For eight full weeks, she was unable to get up and her body was filled with pain. Here he records her words to those who asked her about this suffering. She said, 
These pains are truly physical, but not natural. For it seems that God has given permission to the devils to torment this body at their pleasure. The witness comments that he never saw such patience as that which he saw in Catherine. Every time new pain came to her body, she would raise her eyes and heart to God and thank Him as her spouse for granting her new grace each day. She was in this intense suffering until the Sunday before the Feast of the Ascension. And even though her body was consumed, her face retained a radiant beauty. In the night of the Sunday before Ascension, her health changed so visibly that all of her spiritual family was called together. She made many signs to them that she wished their forgiveness for the ways that she perceived she had failed them. The abbot of San Antimo gave her extreme unction, after which for an hour and a half, she seemed to be in a great physical struggle with demons, and she cried out repeatedly for the Lord to have mercy on her. While many relics and holy pictures were brought to her, she kept her eyes fixed on the image of the cross. She continually begged Christ for forgiveness of all her sins of negligence and accused herself of many failures. She was seized with a kind of fear that even though she had been entrusted with so many spiritual sons and daughters, she had given them only an example of human weakness. She said of herself that even though she was called to be the beloved spouse of Christ, even from her childhood, she could see in herself only her infidelity. And then she turned to a priest who was present and begged him to give her absolution for all of her sins. All this time, she never took her eyes or her heart off of Christ crucified. All the way to the end of her life, she continued in prayer especially for the church for which she was giving her life. Even as she was dying, she prayed for Pope Urban VI and insisted that he was the true pontiff. She finally made the sign of the cross, blessing her spiritual sons and daughters, and she ended her pilgrimage in this world, calling upon the Lord, whom she loved so much, saying, Thou, O Lord, callest me, and I come to thee not through my merits, but through thy mercy alone, which I ask of thee in virtue of thy blood. After calling on the blood of Christ several times, her final words were, after the pattern of her divine spouse, Father, into thy hands I commend my soul and my spirit. And with a face that the witnesses say was radiant with an angelic light, she breathed her last. Catherine passed from this world on Sunday, and her body was laid in state until Tuesday. There was no sign of decay or rigidity in her body. And in those days, crowds of people came to honor the deceased saint. The witness says that he saw many miracles worked in those three days. He notes that the tomb was visited by many of the faithful, and he states that he does not doubt that many more will come in the future. As one who has made the pilgrimage both to Siena, where some of her relics are preserved, and to Rome, where her tomb is found, 
I can attest that streams of people still come to pay their honor to this great woman and to beg for her saintly intercession. Catherine of Siena died on April 29 in 1380 at the age of 33, the same age at which our Lord passed from this world to the Father. In her short life, she accomplished extraordinary deeds and her legacy lives on. Catherine was beatified in 1460 and canonized only a year later in 1461. Her heroic sanctity was evident even in her lifetime, as is witnessed by the fact that many, including her own mother, became her spiritual disciples. St. Catherine of Siena was named a Doctor of the Church in 1970 for the great contribution she has made to the life and legacy of the Church by her writings and by her witness. Some are most impressed by Catherine's famous diplomatic interventions, which not only affected her beloved cities of Siena and Rome, but most famously led to the return of the Pope to Rome after his exile in Avignon. While some see her as a bold and countercultural woman, Catherine's own words are marked by humility and confidence in God alone. I think it can be rightly said that she had moral authority due to the extraordinary witness to practical charity and holy wisdom in her lifetime. Catherine's teaching and words have such impact because she served so selflessly. She served within her home, within the centers of care for the sick and the poor, and even to condemned criminals in the streets. Catherine was not formally educated, but rather she stayed at the feet of Christ crucified, even learning how to read from the Lord himself at her request to be taught how to pray the divine office. She had peace of soul and a certain sense of certainty that flowed not from self-reliance, but from radical self-surrender to God. It seems to me that St. Catherine would be most desirous of leaving a spiritual legacy. And this can be found in the four primary sources about and by her. If we want to know Catherine more deeply, the best sources are her biography by Blessed Raymond of Capua, the dialogue, which we have just been exploring, the volumes of her letters, which show much of the same doctrine as the dialogue, but now in her letters applied to the lives of the many diverse people who sought her what wisdom and guidance, and finally, in the collection of her prayers. It is difficult to summarize the spiritual legacy she leaves in her writings, since it is so vast, but we can point to a few insights, which perhaps are not entirely exclusive to her, but which nevertheless show the heart of her spirituality. First, Catherine is utterly Christocentric. While she constantly adores the whole Trinity, she never departs from an emphasis on the blood of Christ as the sign of God's love for us and as the source of all grace. Second, this Christocentric spirituality of Catherine gives her a unique insight into the three stages of the spiritual life. Most of the great doctors of the church do speak of the three stages of purgation, illumination, and union. 
Catherine's version of these stages is uniquely transformed by linking it to the body of Christ himself. What can seem a program of spiritual ascent takes on in the writings of Catherine a uniquely relational dimension. By linking these three great stages to the feet, the heart, and the mouth of Christ, she emphasizes that we can only grow in the spiritual life as we become more one in love with our loving Savior by pondering His incarnation and passion and death and so being drawn into ever greater love. Third, because she is so absorbed in Christ, the head of the church, she has an unfailing dedication to the good of his body, the church. Even to her death, Catherine was offering all of her sufferings for the purification and holiness of the church. She never saw the church apart from her beloved Christ. She knew that the church holds the keys to the blood and is therefore central in our salvation. This led to her profound reverence toward the Pope and the clergy. Catherine was a truly humble soul, so she was never surprised by the weakness and failures of anyone, including those of the leaders of the church. She didn't waste her time and energy on causing further division in the church, but rather she prayed and offered penance and tears for unity and peace. Fourth, because Catherine knew that Christ was the pattern and the source of all holy living, she pondered often his virtues and the way that we are called to live his virtues in our lives. Her uniquely rich image of our souls as trees of love shows the interconnected nature of virtue. Both in the dialogue and in her letters, she repeatedly urges people to be grounded and rooted in humility, to let their love grow in patience, and to exercise discretion or prudential judgment in order to bear forth the leaves and blossoms and fruits of true and solid virtue, and especially obedience. She knows that it is only by the grace of God, merited for us by the blood of Christ, that true virtue is born and perfected in the soul. She is ever aware that the fire of divine love is the source of all virtue, and she longs to be set ablaze. Catherine uses the image of fire in her writings repeatedly, telling her spiritual guide that her very nature is fire. One of the most famous quotes of St. Catherine summarizes the style of her spiritual encouragement to her beloved sons and daughters in the faith. If you are what you should be, you will set the whole world ablaze. How did Catherine set the world ablaze? By dwelling in the cell of self-knowledge and ever remaining humbly aware that God is he who is and she is the one who is not. By constant prayer and the offering of her tears and penance in union with the blood of Christ for the good of the church and of the whole world. By constant reliance on the grace of God given in the sacraments, especially in fervent devotion to the Holy Eucharist and frequent reception of confession, ever aware of her own sinfulness and God's greater mercy. 
by dedicating her life to obedient and charitable service to her neighbors and never abandoning the poorest and the most neglected, and by prayerfully seeking truth and fearlessly sharing truth without any concern for how others regarded her, by being consumed with zeal for God's honor and the salvation of souls. Such was the life and legacy of St. Catherine of Siena, and I am sure that this day and every day, she prays also for us that we will become who we should be and set the whole world ablaze. Perhaps the most repeated line in the letters of St. Catherine to those whom she loves is this invitation, to bathe in the blood of Christ crucified. And here we close as she habitually closed her own letters. Sweet Jesus, Jesus love. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit TANCommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.